Oh boy. Oh boy. So, uh, yeah, I was actually sitting here telling you guys that I think I got all my audio issues figured out. Um, and, uh, that you guys weren't going to have to worry about them this week. And, uh, in fact, uh, I got some audio clips or, or video clips with audio to play today. And, and if they do work, I am hoping you guys will stand up and cheer, uh, for, for me and, and Nick Ashley, who actually helped do all of the audio stuff and who's been, um, really helping me fix. I want you guys to know that the, in the, in the chat logs here, uh, in your guys' chat, it is way delayed. So I was sitting here asking you if you could hear me for, I don't know, a good 20 seconds before I realized that you guys could hear me now. So, uh, I spent some time in the hospital today. That's why the, uh, the, the stream's a little delayed and I apologize. Um, and I'm also, uh, on volume. So it's going to be a fun evening. It's going to be a fun evening. I have this whole cool, uh, show to talk about and I'm probably going to do a lot of ums and uhs and uhs and, and look really funny, but Hey, whatever, who cares? Um, but anyways, welcome to episode three of Break the Cycle uh, with your host, Joshua Smith. Uh, I wanted to talk about the drug war a little bit today, but I really I really wanted to talk about Ross Ulbricht. You know, he's been behind bars for a long time for uh, some bullshit. I mean, it's it's honestly, it really is bullshit. Um, are there any photos of the mad one? See, I got I can't be looking at your guys' chat. You guys are going to totally uh, throw me off here. For the, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide you guys. No, I'm still going to look, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of look and kind of hide. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't, I did forget, I forgot to unmute, um, uh, the microphone in, in the, uh, the mixer as opposed to just unmute, which also do with, unfortunately, but anyways, I want to talk about Ross Ulbricht today and as, as libertarians, as libertarians, we know that the drug war is a complete failure. I mean, it's, you know, it's cost us trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, the, the, the drugs are winning, um, you know, the drug use is higher than ever before. Uh, you know, people are falling out left and right from uh, drug, untested drugs, terrible drugs, all kinds. Of, there's all kinds of issues with the drug war. Um, but the government, you know, they don't give a shit. They want to keep taking your money. But um, so so pretty much anyone, anyone watching this show uh, knows that the drug war is a, is a giant failure. But it's so intertwined within the very fabric of our society that after decades, uh, m- many don't understand the implications or the mass increase um of violence that it's caused. I mean, in the marketplace, you know, not, not only has it failed, it's actually increased violence in the marketplace. It's creating more of what it declares uh, it's trying to decrease. So it's, it's no surprise when that same government tries to make examples of those who are trying to circumvent uh, this, this bloody drug war um, and, and show that they've actually failed. Uh, that their tactics are wrong. Of course, the state doesn't want to admit that it took trillions of dollars from you over decades and decades for a failed experiment that has literally had the opposite effect of its intended nature. So, so what's more important to them is making sure that no one ever, ever tries to circumvent the authority and make it clear that they have failed. And that's what brings us to Ross Ulbricht and Silk Road. So Silk Road, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of a lot of you guys watching this probably know. Hopefully, we'll be able to share this podcast out a little bit more than we have been, and uh, let other people know about Ross. But Silk Road was a, an e-commerce site, you know. And if you guys know anything about the deep web, I'm not I'm not super uh, uh, knowledgeable about the deep web and and what goes on there. And uh, you know, I, I know that there's some bad things that go on there, but I also know that a lot of people like their anonymity. I mean, I'm a crypto guy. I, I wanna I want to be anonymous. I want to be able to make transactions anonymously. So Silk Road was an e-commerce site that was basically just that. 
it was built and intended for uh, anonymity and letting people purchase things that they want and kind of have free trade outside of you know the government's edicts and what they what they expect from us and um, you know so so it, this this site was created Silk Road. It wasn't the only site like that. I mean, there was other sites like that that were popping up you know after Silk Road. Uh, but Ross Ulbricht was you know he's he's largely you know deemed the founder and and creator of Silk Road but if you really look into if you really get into the story and actually I, I spent this morning watching um I, I watched uh Deep Web which is actually uh uh it was made in 2015 it's a documentary about Ross Ulbricht and the Silk Road and um it's created by Alex Winter who is uh uh Bill or Ted from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And it's actually narrated by Keanu Reeves, which was I thought was kind of cool. You know, uh, these guys are all interested in the Silk Road and and the deep web. And I was watching some TED Talks with Alex Winter. The guy's really knowledgeable. I was, it's pretty cool to see some actors kind of take the side of the free market and, um, you know, these ideals and stuff. But uh, so Ross was a college student. I mean, by all means, a really good kid. You know, his family's pretty wealthy. Uh, they owned properties and, and rented out properties in Costa Rica, like on the coast of Costa Rica. Um, he wasn't like a criminal. I don't even think he was a big drug addict. I mean, maybe the guy used, you know, smoked pot or something. I, I, you know, I haven't heard anything about his own drug use or anything, but he was uh, very voluntarist minded. I mean, he had come to this conclusion that, you know, a, a, a harm reduction in the market, even if it became something illegal like drugs, was important. And so, you know, he started Silk Road you know, allegedly started Silk Road. Uh, but, but if you really get into it, he, he didn't, he wasn't a computer programmer. You know, he didn't, he didn't have some, you know, degree in, in programming computers. He wanted to become an entrepreneur. In fact, he, he was really good at math and, and was a, I think he went to college for engineering, uh, of some sort, but, uh, decided he moved back home with his parents and decided he wanted to be an entrepreneur and, uh, started a, an actually like a book exchange online. Um, and, and was donating, uh, proceeds from his book exchange to, to, uh, I don't remember exactly which charity it was, but he was doing really good things. I mean, you know, and then, uh, somehow got involved with, with Silk Road, whether he was the creator or not, he definitely had to have help with coding because he wasn't a coder. Um, and they started this community. I mean, it was, it was more than just selling drugs, but that the media would obviously have you believe that it was all about the drugs. It was all about uh, trading drugs and, and child pornography and all this stuff that, you know, we know takes place on the deep web, but the deep web is so much bigger than that. If you really start getting into and studying the deep web online, which I, I, I have done a lot of now, um, it's, it's so much more than that. It's, it's journalists that want to be anonymous. It's, you know, obviously crypto exchanges, people buying things. Uh, yeah, sure. There's some drug trade going on there, but it's like, in the drug trade there, the harm reduction is so amazingly noticeable because we're not, you know, we're not buying weed or, or uh, pure MDMA or, or clean cocaine or whatever the hell it is they're buying in some back alleyway somewhere where you can get robbed and mugged and shot and killed. I mean, it drops, it drops the violence to almost zero. And, and we know that uh, the drug war is increasing the violence. You know, a lot of the times the, cre- <laughs> the actual violence is committed by 
the fucking alphabet agencies, right? Or, or, or the police. And so, um, you know, Ross wanted to create this community and it was, and if you really read about it, it was way more than just a drug trade for, for him, especially. And they prohibited anything that harmed anybody. I mean, it said, it stated right on the site, you know, there wasn't allowed to be any child pornography in Silk Road. Uh, they weren't allowed to actually do any kind of murder for hire plots, which we'll get into a little bit more here because that's like a central tenant to them, uh, railroading Ross eventually, um, so there wasn't allowed to be anything on Silk Road that could that could bring harm to somebody else, which is very very important thing to think about because Ross Ulbricht is serving the rest of his life in a federal prison for creating an e-commerce website where the government couldn't put their hands in it and and manipulate the market. Right? It wasn't. It's not. It's not just about drugs, and we'll find out more about that. So that's that's what Ross really wanted to do. He wanted to create a community for voluntarists like me, like you, like all of us. Somewhere we could be an, uh, 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 anonymous, you know, and use our tour. I know some some of you guys probably have tour, uh, which was created by the government, by the way. In case you're in case you're wondering, uh, so this technology that you use to be anonymous was actually something that the government created, and uh, now you know they'll probably prosecute you if they find out you're using it for uh, certain things that they don't like. But um, so the investigation into Ross Ulbrich is all kinds of fucked up and shady. Like legitimately, it is so fucked up. Um, the the way that they actually found. Uh, uh, Ross, it, it, it's pretty obvious that there was some, at least Fourth Amendment violations, right? They had to hack uh, the servers, essentially. You know, they had to hack in um, and 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 find this. And so there was definitely, probably, probably, definitely, pr- probably, definitely some NSA involvement. In fact, I have an Edward Snowden clip here talking about Ross. Let's hope it works. Everybody, pray for me. Pray for me. Uh, and if it does, and you're standing and you're not standing up and cheering for me, uh, I'm going to be really upset. I'm going to know, I'm going to, I could see all of you right now. In the case of Ross Ulbricht, who was prosecuted for founding uh, the Silk Road website and is now effectively, uh, he's appealing it, but a life sentence. Do you assume, or should we assume that the NSA was involved in, uh, corroborating or gathering evidence, uh, which they might've denied in the actual trial? Yes. Yep. Okay. That's that was easy enough. Uh, uh, two uh, questions. I mean, just just yep. to elaborate on that, I, I apologize because I, yep. I, I don't mean to be pat there. Yep. Um, but the NSA uh, in the United States is a member of a larger group called the Five Eyes Network, right? Uh, this is the United States, the UK, Canada, uh, New Zealand, uh, and Australia. Uh, and these five countries, they sort of mix everything together in a common pot, and they share and share alike. Uh, they're not allowed to ask a partner to violate their laws, uh, but partners can share information that would have been in violation of their laws uh, if they didn't ask for it. Now, not to say that particular strategy applied in this uh, context, but the difference between the, the national security agency's authorities and particularly the British uh, equivalent of the NSA called the GCHQ, their authorities, is the UK is allowed to use NSA systems, right, that we built that work in the United States and everything else uh, against or under the mandate of what's called a serious crimes authority that's completely unrelated to national uh, intelligence prerogatives. Uh, and this includes drug trafficking. They are literally mandated for this. They use our systems for this. And then the fruits of their investigations, they can share freely with us. Uh, so I would say yes, of course. Uh, and it was foolish in the court case uh, 
I, I understand why they did it. Uh, he didn't want to own the server at the time. He didn't want to say, yes, this is mine. Therefore, the judge wouldn't allow him to make sort of Fourth Amendment argument here that uh, investigatory uh, restrictions had been violated. Um, but it seems uh, unthinkable to me that there was not an intelligence angle uh, internationally that was involved in that case. Okay. It worked. Oh, my God. Everybody clap and cheer. Jump around your living rooms. Uh, we have audio on my clips. I'm very, very happy. Uh, it's much better than the screen sharing, apparently. And and everyone go and find Nick Ashley and send that man your money because he's the one that got us uh, audio for our clips. So anyways, Snowden is, is what Snowden is basically saying there is that we gave technology to Britain, spying technology. It's legal for them to spy on people. They use that technology, probably even on our citizens or people making transactions with our citizens. And then they share that information with the United States, right? So it's a total backdoor around your Fourth Amendment rights by using a foreign power, a foreign country to spy on you. That just blows my fucking mind. And, and you know, think what you want about Snowden. He's, get, he's getting railroaded too, you know, for, for saying these things, for telling these things in, a, in the open, in public. You know, the federal government hates when you do that shit. They really don't fucking like it when you tell on them. They're not happy about it, but, but we got audio on the clip. So everything's good. Everything's good. So, uh, so anyway, so, uh, that's kind of how they, they found out about Ross and then, and then, uh, they actually, they found a, an email that they traced to a Twitter account and then they found, uh, they found Ross talking about the start of Silk Road on, on a Twitter post. And so they started investigating Ross Ulbricht. And in fact, uh, when they finally saw him face to face, what happened was, I don't know. I don't know the, you know, obviously I don't know what was happening behind this, but, um, they, they intercepted a case of fake IDs coming from like Canada or something that were going to Ross's house in San Francisco or his, his apartment in San Francisco. So they intercepted that showed up on Ross's doorstep and said, are these yours? Ross was like, I've never seen those before in my life. <laughs> you know, they had his picture on it, obviously, and, and different names and stuff. And he's like, I've never seen them before in my life. I don't know where they're, they're from. So, um, you know, they, they didn't arrest them on the spot, but then they ended up getting, you know, getting some more information and, and they eventually ended up arresting him. Uh, and after he was arrested, so here's the thing. So, um, we'll talk some more about, uh, the DEA agents that are in the DEA agent and the, uh, secret service agent who were extremely corrupt and had control of accounts in Silk Road because any libertarian knows that the alphabet boys are always trying to create fake accounts. You know, we, we see it all the time. Uh, some random gun girl online pops on. We all call her a fed and then she disappears because, she, you know, it was some federal fat federal agent eating a donut talking to us uh, on Twitter, trying to trying to get information about, you know, boogs and all this stuff. But um, but anyway, so so they found some chat logs, you know, they uh, conveniently found some chat logs on on, uh, on Silk Road that were uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, which, it, it, you know, was said to be um Ross Ulbricht's uh, kind of alter ego on Silk Road, where the Dread Pirate Roberts during this, you know, in the lead up to the trial after his arrest and stuff, uh, where uh, before his arrest, where they, he was actually trying to um, plot uh, murder for hire, right, um, of some of the people who who might be witnesses. But because of these chat logs, um, he was actually denied bail. Like he wasn't allowed to get bail. This guy, no criminal record, 
no vi- I mean, outside of this murder for, for hire plot, it was uh, drug charges and, and like nonviolent offenses. And his mur- and so his his bail was actually denied, right? And so the charges initially, when he was getting ready to go to trial uh, in, in federal court, were uh, charges for murder for hire and and drug charges, right? So when this trial started, then this is this really goes to show you how much the federal government can can and will shut you the fuck down if they want to. Uh, he wasn't allowed to bring up. Um, you know, the fact that there was probably more people, uh, uh, controlling the dread pirate Roberts account, uh, at least three, uh, from what we know, um, they weren't allowed to talk about, uh, the fourth amendment violations to, to hack into the server, which happened to be in like Iceland or the Netherlands or something. Uh, they weren't allowed to even bring this shit up. So, so the defense had built this whole case that they were going to go in and, and spin a story that was not anything like. Uh, the prosecution's case, and the judge essentially shut the entire defense down. They weren't allowed to talk about almost anything in this case. Uh, they weren't allowed to bring their witnesses to court. Um, they they made it so that the defense couldn't cross-examine federal agents, uh, uh, overly overly cross-examine federal agents on the stand. I mean, it was it was clear if you watch any of the uh, the trial stuff, if you read anything about the trial. Uh, there's really some really good journalists that actually covered this trial too, and um, a lot of people took interest in it. If you read any of it, it it'll make you mad, like seething red fucking mad, like how. Could, uh, you know, how could the federal government get away with this? Of course, you know, as libertarians, we know the federal government's going to do this shit anyways. So, um, but during here, something that'll make you even more mad is that this, this murder for hire plot, right? Um, there was like uh, supposedly three people that, that Dread Pirate Roberts was, uh, messaging, you know, trying to find crime syndicates and stuff to have these three people murdered, but only one, one of these people were ever actually named, um, and his name was Danny Green, I think. Let me let me see here. Uh, Curtis Green, okay, who was actually someone that was like selling drugs on on Silk Road. Um, but uh, some agents, these corrupt agents that I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, here, um, found him, basically bribed him, uh, made him a patsy. They stole all the Bitcoin off of. Uh, his account and that was in these accounts for Silk Road. They steal all the Bitcoin. Then they pinned it on Curtis Green. So all these people are mad at Curtis Green, you know, saying they stole his, uh, stole his, their Bitcoin and all this stuff. And then they, they forced him to take fake death photos so that they could show the Dread Pirate Roberts account that uh, they actually killed this, this person that uh, they were saying they want to kill. So, uh, but so let's talk a little bit about the the corrupt. There was a corrupt DEA agent and uh, and a um, corrupt Secret Service agent who had actually infiltrated Silk Road, become admins. They had access uh, to admin accounts and they could take control of any account that they wanted. Even and and this is the zinger, man. This is the shit that is like okay. They could even take. Uh, access to the DPR accounts, so the Dread Pirate Roberts accounts. And in fact, after all this was over, they were both sent to prison uh, for their involvement in the Silk Road stuff, for the you know uh, the obvious corruption, uh, the the theft of of the Bitcoin. I mean, they had stolen it was something like twenty uh, two point five million dollars worth of Bitcoin or something like that. Um, and these are these are the you know federal agents from the same agencies that were investigating all this stuff. And it was actually shown it was shown uh, eventually that they were. Um, doing everything that they could 
to hinder the investigation. And well, of course they were because they were corrupt and they wanted Bitcoin. I mean, everybody wants fucking Bitcoin. If you're, you know, if you know anything about Bitcoin, you want Bitcoin. Um, and this was, you know, at a time when shit, 2015, what was Bitcoin? Like 2000, $3,000. It wasn't that much, but I think it was well over 2,500 Bitcoin that they had stolen. Uh, and then they tried to pin it on Curtis green. They used Curtis green. Um, uh, yeah. And so, so the, the crazy part about all this is Curtis green, uh, the, the, he was the only person named in the murder for hire plot, right? But he actually says to this day that he's a fervent supporter of release for Ross. He says that there's no way Ross uh, was cro- controlling those those DPR accounts. Um, you know, Ross isn't the kind of person that would be trying to have people murdered and blah 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 blah. And uh, so so his, his chats likely they had been manipulated, um, but that wasn't allowed to be brought, brought up at trial either. You know, the the corrupt. Uh, uh, agents were weren't allowed to be brought up at trial. I mean, they they hamstrung the entire defense. Let's see. Uh, yeah, the DPR account was logged into while Ross was in jail. I mean, that effect, that effectively shows that there was one more than one person running this account. You know, and uh, there was a lot of other people from the website that had claimed that uh, there was different people using the DPR account. Um, and Ross, you know, if you if you watch the documentary or or, or or look at any of the uh, interviews or anything. Ross wasn't even allowed to give interviews while he was in jail. You know, he was denied bail. He wasn't allowed to give interviews. His defense was completely hamstrung. He was railroaded. I mean, completely, completely railroaded. And in the end, he refi- he received two full life sentences plus forty years. And the, and the minimum sentence, by the way, was thirty years. So they, I mean, you know, quadrupled that or or more, depending on you know. Ross was a young guy. He was in his twenties. He wasn't old. So no violent charges. Oh, and uh. Before we get to the end of this, the the murder for hire charges, all right, were never prosecuted. They actually they called them. Uh, what was, what was it they called them? Oh man, uh, unchargeable offenses or something like that. So they they actually used these murder for for hire um, charges allegations all through the proceedings to the to the trial and into the trial. They were allowed to talk about it. Jurors were allowed to hear about it, but they weren't prosecuting him for it. I mean that's some shady shit. So. Now, your defense is not allowed to have any kind of uh, uh, defense. I mean, you, your entire defense was effectively shut down. They're allowed to basically say that you uh, committed these murder-for-hire plots, even though they know for a fact there was other people using these Dread Pirate Roberts accounts. And they didn't even, they didn't even prosecute for, for the murder-for-hire. So it was literally just used for, for political theater. I mean, it was used to uh, destroy, and that was it. And then, uh, so this was... This was 2014 or 2015, so it's it's been a long time now. And you know, when Trump was in office, you know, a lot of people lauded Trump as this great hero. You know, he's gonna he's he's gonna go after the blue check journalists. Uh, he wants truth in media, truth in journalism. Um, but when it came to the end of his run, when when it was over, he he was little more than a, a, a you know a coward when it came to clemency. Um, he had the opportunity to grant clemency to Ross. You know, and 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 he didn't. He he purported to be this this advocate of free trade. Now, if you watch his trade wars, you probably don't believe it. Like I don't believe it, but you know, here's a guy who created an e-commerce website to freely trade without the government taking control of it. You know, without the the constant regulation that hamstrings us in the market every single day. And Trump didn't even look at the case. He didn't even look at the case. Hundreds of thousands of people are tagging POTUS. Well, you know, before before he got taken off Twitter. Uh, 
but they're they're writing to him. There's these uh, free Ross petitions. Uh, Miss Olbrick, Lynn Olbrick, his mother is is pushing and 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 got an army behind her of people, myself included, who who want to see Ross released. He shouldn't be in prison. They know it was a travesty, um, and he did nothing. And he didn't do anything about Assange. You know, he talks about he wants truth in journal in, in journalism and truth in media. He didn't do anything about Assange, and uh, probably one of the most uh, egregious uh, issues was Snowden. You know. All Snowden did was tell the truth. Um, the government was lying to us. The government was illegally spying on citizens. And uh, he had the opportunity to, to pardon, and he didn't. So, uh, But anyways, the lengths the alphabet agencies and the federal government will go to to make sure that you don't question their motives or step outside of their control is never-ending. Never. And we see this with not only trade, but people like Snowden who whistleblow their own crimes or journalists like Assange who are just legally doing their job. It's just more proof that these institutions are not here to protect us, but to enslave us, force their will, and take our hard-earned capital for their own prep projects. Let's see. Yeah, future, future outlook, what are you going to do over the next five years? Like one sentence. Um, you're going to... <laughs> one, I'm gonna do a few things. Uh, so one sentence isn't enough, damn it. Um, but I want to. I want to. Pretty sure I want to start a family in the next five years. Nice. Okay. Um, and uh, and uh, just yeah, make make more friends and close people I love. Yeah, I want to focus on uh, being more connected to people. Very good. And uh, twenty years. Uh, I want to have had a substantially positive impact on the future of humanity by that time. Do you think you're going to live forever? I think it's a possibility. <laughs> I honestly do. I, I think I might live forever in some form by that time. The technology is yeah. changing so fast. Yeah, yeah. Man, that clip gets me every time. That's from an interview uh, with with Ross and his best friend. They were, I think, they were going to start a podcast or something. That's from like 2012 or 2013. So you know, back before all of us had podcasts. But that one, man, it gives me the chills every time. So, but speaking of uh, school to prison pop uh, pipelines, it's been one year, almost to the day, since the school shutdowns. And as someone living with four school age children, it's taken its fucking toll, man. Let me tell you. Now, of course, I'm I'm no I'm not a public school supporter. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a necessity for a lot of parents. Um, you know, and and uh, but if we had the opportunity, obviously, if we had school choice, uh, it'd probably be much different for not just us, but millions of other families around the country. Um, but we have three school age children that haven't seen any kind of school in three years. I don't know if you guys, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you probably don't understand the, the situation that's going through. But I have a 16 year old daughter uh, who I have not had custody of for a long time that I got custody of back in October. Um, you know, one of the greatest days of my life. It's, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, but when we went down to pick her up, we had the opportunity. She has two small siblings who are nine and six now um, who are not mine biologically. But we were given the... Um, I mean, we were given the opportunity to take them. I mean, have custody of them through kinship, uh, guardianship, and 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 then work to try and adopt. And 
Um, so, so we got three new kids, <laughs> you know, I got my daughter plus two, two bonus children. And we had the, uh, we had the baby new year's Eve, uh, Mateo, who's a beautiful, amazing kid. And, um, my girlfriend already had two kids. So we have six children in the house now, but those three kids had not, uh, seen the inside of a school in, uh, at least three years. Um, and, uh, this kept their interactions with kids, their age to an absolute minimum and their education also very, very small. I mean, uh, you know, luckily they're, they're very bright kids, especially for what they've been through. Um, and, uh, our, our nine-year-old was able to catch up really fast in the fourth grade, even though he had only done one day of first grade prior to that. Um, he was able to catch up really fast and he's excelling. He's one of the best readers in his class. Um, our six-year-old who is in kindergarten, uh, is one of the best at math in her class already. She's able to, uh, really, um, start to see, uh, uh, numbers and shapes and, 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 and letters and understand what letters are what and what sound they make and all this stuff. But, um, when we got them back here in October, uh, unfortunately they were, you know, it was constant, uh, online school. And for two working parents, uh, who, um, can't be home with them all day long, uh, and, and, and three kids who hadn't seen the inside of a classroom or knew anything about education, uh, for three years, it was a, it was a mess. It was a really, really, really big, uh, fight. And we were faced with this constant online school. Um, it may not be that hard for, for kids that are, are used to it. It really isn't, but it was rough for, uh, for these kids and, uh, and they needed friends, you know, but, uh, anyways, so public schools and teacher unions have done everything they can to attack, uh, the mental health of our children through this entire COVID process. Um, over a virus that largely does not affect them. I mean, it's, you know, study after study after study is coming out showing that not only kids uh, not really passing this virus around, they're just not even getting sick. Like they're not even getting the virus, which is, which is pretty cool. But um, we shut down our schools. We took away uh, interaction between children. We, we really, uh, we hamstrung learning. We hamstr- hamstrung their, uh, their mental development, their mental health. Oh, what's going on here? Oh, um, and, and I, I got to see firsthand the ill effects of, 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 of children in, in our own home, not being able to go play with their friends at school or make new friends or make those connections. And, uh, there was a lot of frustration and, and, uh, they were just really upset. And yes, like I said, we use public school. It's the only chance we have to give these kids an, an education currently. Unfortunately, you know, we, we would like to homeschool that, that would be, um, probably the best thing for us. And, and if we could do it, we would be doing it, but, uh, it goes a lot further than this. And I just wanted to really kind of go over some stats here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on this subject. Um, I just think that it's a good thing to talk about because it has been a year. I mean, it's been a year and some, some school districts, some States are still shut down. Some of these kids and, and you know, these there's 12 year olds committing suicide like regularly. This isn't like a, this isn't like a, you know, Oh, th- this one 12 year old committed. Th- it's like a regular thing now that children are committing suicide. You know, regardless of how you feel about, uh, public schools, these kids need their friends. They need human interaction. When you're growing, um, at, as a child and you're, you're, you're having mental development and, uh, you, you have to have those interactions and we're teaching them that, you know, we can't see each other's faces. We can't go hang out with people. We can't go uh, play with people. We can't compete in sports. You know, I was lucky enough to get my, my son in, uh, wrestling, 
You know, he got to compete in wrestling, but it was like the parents couldn't come watch. He couldn't show me what he was doing. He wasn't, you know, kids are proud of that stuff. They want their parents to see them and be happy and stuff. But anyways, let's talk about some of the, the, the ill effects of this and um, we'll wrap this, this podcast up shortly. But so interrupted learning, obviously the effect, it's the, the effects, the, um, this affects the nation, the nation's underprivileged much more due to the fact that something like 6% of the people in this country don't have internet. They have no broadband access to the internet, right? So like, how are, are these kids supposed to um, learn on the internet at home if they don't have internet? And, and it's even worse in the rural areas, right? It's like a quarter of the people in the rural areas. So like almost 25%, over 15 million people in rural areas have no internet. How are these kids supposed, I, I, I want to clarify this. Um, I'm not Joe Biden and I'm not just talking about black kids and Mexican kids. Okay. I know that black kids and Mexican kids can use the internet just fine. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, 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 I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make any more jokes about that, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a true thing. It's a real thing that, that people in rural areas have less internet than people in, uh, you know, bigger city and, uh, and, uh, um, sorry, uh, big cities and, and inner city areas, they have more internet access. It's just how it is. Um, how do they learn? What if their parents, what if your parents have to work? You know, you, it's, it's really hard to teach your kids, uh, how, how to do their math homework or during their class when you're not there, when you have to work. Like I work 12 hour shifts when my girlfriend was, was working. Now, luckily she's, she has the opportunity to stay home now. Um, but when she was working and I was working, who, who stays home and helps the kids, especially kids like ours who haven't been to school in three years. Uh, a lot of, a lot of children rely on free lunches, you know, and I know public schools are horrible. I'll keep saying it over and over again. We, our kids are in public school because the only opportunity we have right now to give them an education, uh, that will change eventually, but, um, they rely on, on school lunches. You know, we have six kids. It's, it saves us a ton of money and I pay taxes for that. So, you know, but the nutrition of children is being affected and, and, and probably most importantly, what we have to talk about is, uh, child abuse. Of course, um, with the children not getting what may be their only source of time away from the house, that has a lot of consequences in an abusive home, right? If, now, this kid used to get to leave the house for eight hours. He had the opportunity to interact with his friends. Uh, he's got an abusive dad or abusive mom or, or abusive brother or whatever. He doesn't have that opportunity anymore. There's more abuse going on at home. And in fact, that's probably what's kind of led to more suicides, you know? But meanwhile, we have the teachers union and lazy teachers who are fighting tooth and nail to keep kids from returning to the classroom so they can sit at home in their PJs on a Skype call for two or three hours a day while still collecting that taxpayer-funded paycheck. It doesn't matter what terrible effects it's having on our children because they don't give a shit. They're lazy. Maybe they're underpaid. I don't know. I feel like teachers, I feel like teachers make pretty good money. You know, I know teachers that make more money than I do and I make enough money to support six kids. So, um, I don't get it. But anyways, don't take my word for it. Let's see what a literal jar of mustard has to say about this entire thing. Let's see. Can we, can we pull the jar of mustard up? Jar of mustard, you there? Mm-hmm. I'm here, Josh. Oh, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Not much. Glad you're feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. Much better. Much better now. I still got my, my wristband on there. Awesome. Just in case you got to check back in. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Man. So I got to tell you, I, I like what you had to say so far. Um, I, I like to go to the start uh, later this week, actually, 
Um, one of the reasons I'm, I'm happy to be on today, but later this week is the one-year anniversary of some of the earliest COVID shutdowns in the U.S. It feels like a decade ago, uh, but it was one year ago tomorrow that a big croissant-sucking Frenchman named Rudy Gobert, may Allah curse him, was licking media microphones and coughing in his NBA teammates' mouths so the NBA shut down its season. Other sports leagues, corporate entities, state and local governments all followed suit. You all know the story. Over the next several months, the nation would witness one of the largest power grabs and wealth transfers in American history, with every public and corporate entity using the old Wuhan Weezer to push through all the shady shit they always wanted. But they had never had the emergency to exploit it. And as an aside here, I got to say, I'm still hearing people talk about the coronavirus shutting things down. Dudes, especially people that you know, it's been way too long for us to still be using that language. Coronavirus didn't shut anything down. Coronavirus didn't even shut down the respiratory system of the thickest, least healthiest, most dump truck ass president we've ever seen in generations. Okay, the state shut shit down. Corporations cheered them on. Okay. Uh, we got to get rid of that, get rid of that phrase that coronavirus shut stuff down. Okay. Um, anyways, that's an aside. Businesses all over America shut stuff down against the wishes of their owners. Uh, they threw people out of employment. They threw people into massive debt. One group of public workers is actually lobbying hard to shut down their own place of work while still getting full pay and benefits. That's public teachers unions. Um, and I got to tell you, they gave police unions a run for their money in 2020 for every pig's knee on the neck or a tear gas canister shot point blank into some protesters dick hole in 2020, teacher unions were there to one-up them by crushing students' dreams and opportunities at every turn. Like cops, teachers actually stood down when they might have actually been of use in 2020, but unlike cops who are actually back to their old ways of killing people's dogs, raping rape victims they're supposed to be helping and battering their wives, which is their national pastime, um, a lot of teachers still have not gotten back to work. And they continue to fight for their right to either not work or do abridged work online and still get paid. And I say abridged work online because whatever they put together online, um, even though they had three months of a summer to prepare for it, is incredibly abridged. Okay. Uh, let me class up this podcast a little bit. Okay. Uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Maryland Middle School. Maryland Middle School. Who? Maryland middle school teachers aide will not face charges after being seen masturbating during Zoom lesson. Straight from the headlines, baby. Straight from the headlines. <laughs> we continue to hear this excuse that kids can't go back to school because it's too dangerous for them and for teachers and their family, but they can't keep telling that lie. Imagine being a bougie, white prod fourth grade teacher and screaming that if you have to go back to work, you might get COVID and spread it to your grandparents. Bitch, we know your grandparents already died when they saw your OnlyFans. And you already disowned the rest of your older relatives because you caught them enjoying blazing saddles. Even the corporate press has pushed back on the narrative that schools need to stay closed. CNN's own flaccid pudding pop, Jake Tapper, interviewed the director of the CDC, which is an organization with every incentive to make people afraid of COVID. She was hesitant to say that schools should be open immediately, and Tapper, for his credit, actually pushed back. When CNN anchors are questioning the narrative of teachers' unions, progressives, most loyal servants, you know there's something going on. So they don't want kids coming back to public schools. They also don't want kids and families to be able to choose other opportunities, with several states actually banning charter schools and online schools from enrolling new students immediately before people were even giving aid to people for uh, the coronavirus lockdowns. Okay, again, we're using the word lockdown. We're not using that word quarantine, okay? In the meantime, like you said, children are killing themselves. They're losing the ability to see their peers. They can't participate in sports, other enrichment and extracurricular activities. And there's simply not a peep about it from those unions. 
when public sector unions negotiate, and make no mistake, they negotiate against a public that doesn't have a say in the matter. They always claim they're doing it for the children, but we know it's for the money. Public school is the purest, most perfected example of Chomsky's idea of manufactured consent. The money gets taken from the people no matter what and gets spent as little as possible and as superficially as possible to at least convince 50% of the taxpayers to be okay with it. Like the saying goes, give me my fucking money, Joe Biden, except Joe Biden is taxpayers who keep being content with having their money stolen year in and year out so that local kids can get whipped and molested at school. And what I'm saying is that we need to end the getting beaten by school resource officers to getting beaten by correctional facility officers pipeline. Josh, I got one for you here. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there, Jar Mustard? Arkansas teacher. Ar- Arkansas teacher who? Arkansas teacher placed on leave after allegedly making five-year-old use hands to clean feces out of the toilet. Now, I got to say, I legit, I read both those articles a straight way through, so I didn't just read the headline uh, for for those wonderful knock-knock jokes. Um, In the first one, the dude who was jerking off actually had the gall to do an interview on video with the press where he admitted that, yes, he did jerk off on camera while with students, but it was fine because he didn't know he was still on camera with the kids. And for some reason, the camera guy of that news organization did not beat him to death with his shoe right then and there. The absolute state of cameramen these days. <laughs> now, Josh, I get the obvious question is this. If the schools are so bad, if these unions create and allow for such a shitty environment, why would you want the schools to be open? Um, one of the obvious answers is that kids are still required to be in them. They're still required to pass classes and do homework and get credits. And they're still being crushed by the pressure to do well on things like standardized tests. There's still petty small-town Kamala Harris types out there who want to punish kids and parents for leaving these schools or finding alternatives. Furthermore, and it's sad, but you said this, some kids need public school. Their lives have been so monopolized by school and the support system it provides that they can't survive without it or even worth Worse than that, parents have voluntarily ceded their own parenting responsibilities to the state. Cradle to grave with a 14-year stint at what we know Michael Malice will call literal prisons for children in the only place where many people experience violence from their peers for their entire lives. So to wrap it up, uh, my message to parents, if you got to send your kids to public school, stay on top of what they're learning, what's being told to them, particularly the young ones. People say you're a helicopter parent. That's a bullshit term. Uh, most of all, you need to find solutions. You need to get closer to your communities and make connections there. Look into the work people are doing to, I think this is something you hear more fun students instead of schools. Uh, better yet, take your kids out of school and homeschool if you can. I know that's difficult sometimes and sacrifices need to be made, but you need to make your kids' education and childhood years a bigger priority than what it is now. You can't keep on demanding that the state raise your kids. I think it was Vody Botcham that said, if you send your kids to Caesar for their education, don't be surprised when they come back as Romans. Only now in 2021, Caesar's going to cut off your son's dick and make him hate you for not doing it sooner. Okay? To kids. I know that's just dozens of kids watching this. Probably half of your kids watch this. That's in the the hundreds. Disobey if you can. Realize that whatever industrial, neoliberal box your school wants to cram you into, there's way more to life than school. And there's 500,000 better ways to learn than sitting in front of a Zoom watching your teacher fumble through pre-approved opinions. And to teachers, the hundreds of teachers watching this uh, public school teachers watching this uh, this podcast, keep your fucking hands off the kids for one. And if you aren't or you're afraid to start red-pilling kids, it's time to find a different job because you're wasting time and money. If you aren't starting a chapter-by-chapter read-through of Anatomy of the State, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yes. All right. So lastly, to the ATF, get fucked, you pigs. <laughs> and to the people still eating ketchup, get fucked. Hey, man. Hey. And to Josh, yeah. That Thanks last for having one, me on, buddy. That last one was rough, buddy. I love ketchup. Yeah. 
Ketchup and I mustard go hand in hand, buddy. Yeah, yeah well, you'll come around. Um, <laughs> hey, I hope you recover quickly from that AIDS flare-up you had today, and uh, great show so far, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. We'll definitely have you on again, Jar Mustard. Sounds great. Take care. Hey, take care, brother. Wow. That was amazing. That was a good one. Does that does that one up El Polpo? I don't know. It was good, though. It was good. I do appreciate the comedians that come on my show and give you guys a much funnier monologue than I ever could. Uh, but anyways, that's going to be the show for today. Uh, thank you guys so much for checking out episode three of Break the Cycle. Please, please smash that subscribe button on YouTube. I'm trying to grift that ad, re- ad revenue so that we can feed our children. All 700 of them. Please do it. Uh, if you guys like the graphics and this shirt here, check out Top Lobster. Uh, he's the man. He makes some really, really good graphics. He does all the uh, really cool t- cartoon graphics that we have for the for the channel. Uh, without him, I would probably be almost nothing or, or at least really close. Um, check out Whiskey Grenade, who does my intro and outro, Wood Chipper and Disclaimer. Uh, follow Alex uh, Acid Dropsy on Twitter. He's, he's really amazing as well. I will see you guys back here on Friday at 7.30 p.m., where I will have Mr. Blackpill Doctor himself, uh, Pete Quinones from uh, the Libertarian Institute, Free Man Beyond the Wall. It is going to be an awesome night. I'm sure he is one of my favorite people. I cannot wait to have him on the show. And to all of you who have stuck around through my audio issues and my video issues and uh, all my craziness, I love you guys so much, and I'll see you Friday. Have a good night. To explain the lyrics of my last song, they seem to contain a violent call to action in the person of frame. But I just landed in Minecraft. The helicopter part was a reference to GTA 5 and the things you do. So any violence you commit, I am not an excuse because I just landed in Minecraft. Your chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold. Accusations of incitement getting totally old. Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless there's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're yeah, nothing I mean, you know it Don't try to get us, get so close to COVID Holy 